Uh, our scripture reading today is from Hebrews chapter 2, verses 14 to 18. Hebrews chapter 2, verses 14 to 18. I'll go ahead and read this for us. Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is, the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. For surely it is not angels that he helps, but he helps the offspring of Abraham. Therefore, He had to be made like his brothers in every respect so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray together and ask God to help us in hearing this word from him. Our Heavenly Father, there are so many voices crying out for our attention uh, during this season, but to properly listen and lovingly listen and to listen with truth being our anchor, we need to hear from you. And to listen with compassion, we need to hear from you. Uh, To listen with sympathy and with empathy, we need to hear from you first and be changed by you first. So, Lord, we are your people. We're here to hear your word. We're listening. Speak to us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. We are all created in the image of God. That was one of the main points from from last week's passage. And we also talked about how we lost our grip on that image, and it's become now a largely broken and shattered image. And today's passage, we get into a bit more detail about what that means. What does it mean that we've lost the image of God, and we now suffer this inglorious image. What does that mean? Uh, One of the things that it means here, according to this passage, is we now suffer at the hands of death. We now suffer at the hands of death. Nothing is more hurtful to us. Nothing is more damaging to the imago Dei, the image of God, than death. That's the Christian worldview. It's the greatest weapon our enemy has against us. It's death. And we're looking at how the world, literally the whole world, is reacting to that, to this enemy, to death. Even one death. It's one death too many when it's wielded by an oppressor, by an enemy. And that fits perfectly within the Christian, the biblical worldview, where death is not, it's not a natural course of events. It's not something that just happens through the cycle of survival of the fittest and natural selection. There's nothing natural about it. The Christian worldview says, according to Paul, death is the last enemy to be destroyed. What our passage shows us is a deeper look at that, okay? This problem, and therefore, therefore, a deeper look at the Savior who saves us from this problem. And this is where we're introduced to Jesus as the great high priest. He's the great high priest who puts death to death and brings his people back to glory, restoring their imago Dei, the image of God. So let me divide this up into these points. Okay, three points. Who we are, who Christ is, and why that matters to us now. Okay, who we are, who Christ is, and why that matters to us now, all right? First point, who we are. 
Uh, there are a couple of descriptions here that points us to who we are, uh, in a way, sort of putting a mirror up against us and for us to look into. Um, one is found in verse 14. So take a look at verse 14. It says there that we are the children who share in flesh and blood. Okay, and that's just describing our human nature, flesh and blood. Okay, but what a description of human nature. Okay, uh, flesh and blood, two things that really highlight our mortality and our vulnerability. Okay, our flesh, it, it breaks down, um, it's, it ages, and with, with the lack of exercise I'm getting these days, it's, I feel like it's aging exponentially. Um, and our blood, it's something we need in order to live. Uh, if anything goes wrong with, with that, we die. Flesh and blood are two things that really remind us of how vulnerable, how weak we human beings are. Flesh and blood. And it explains our, our general sort of lifelong anxiety and fear when it comes to shortages and losses. Shortage and loss. Uh, they remind us of our fear of death. Okay. Here's the here's um, added description, therefore, in verse 15. All those who through fear of death were subject, subject to lifelong slavery. Okay. Um, this is the overarching fear over our lives. I don't know if you've given much thought to this, but uh, the more you think about it, a lot of what we do is really done out of the fear of death. Uh, and look no further than how COVID-19 has completely changed, right, single-handedly, how we live our, every aspect of our lives, how we socialize, how we work, how we eat, how we do church, how we do parenting, schooling, literally every aspect of our lives, right? There's a certain rational fear of death um, of, of what COVID-19 can do to us. But see, the author of Hebrews, he uses the phrase lifelong slavery to say, this drive to prolong life to survive is not just something that we're grappling with now. It's something that lurks underneath all of our decision-making, all of our lives. There's always been this fear of death looming over us. Okay? And it goes beyond the rational fear of death that helps us survive. It's a paralyzing fear that makes you obedient to all of its commands rather than to the commands of God. Death and your fear of death can command you, dictate every aspect of your life and not your God. And that's when it's gone beyond just a rational fear of death. It's become your reference, your, your reference point for God. Now, that's the, those are the two descriptions, descriptors, that really mirror and reflect who we are when we're all on our own. Flesh and blood, that's all we are. Flesh and blood. But there are other descriptors here uh, we find that are much better, and we find that in verses 16 and 17. For surely it is not angels that he helps, but he helps the offspring of Abraham. Therefore he had to be made like his brothers, in every respect. Okay, two things here. One, it says we're offspring of Abraham. And two, we're brothers of Jesus Christ. Siblings. Okay, what does it mean to be offspring of Abraham? Uh, Romans 9, 8 tells us 
the spiritual descendants of Abraham. Those are the offspring of Abraham. Not physical descendants, not children by virtue of flesh and blood, but by virtue of faith. By faith in God, you are made, and I am made, children of Abraham, and therefore brothers to Jesus Christ. And it also says in Galatians 3, there's neither Jew nor Greek, neither slave nor free, no male nor female. You're all one in Christ Jesus, and if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring. If you are of Christ, you're of Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. So when it comes to being included in the family of God, there's no distinction. There's no racial distinction. There's no gender distinction. There's no socioeconomic distinction. We're all made children of God by our faith in Christ. It's not flesh and blood, but faith. And the author of Hebrews is trying to tell the Hebrews who placed all the emphasis on their identity in flesh and blood were physical descendants of Abraham. He's saying there's something greater than that for you to mark yourself with, a greater identity marker than your race, than your ethnicity, than your skin color, than your citizenship on this world, in this world. It's your faith in Jesus Christ. And here's the thing. You cannot separate how the Father and the Son work together to provide that for you. You cannot become a child of God unless you have your brother Jesus representing you, standing up for you. Okay? And the Israelites were very familiar with this concept of having a representative um, in order to come before God, in order to defeat their enemies. Um, and that is especially because of the office of the high priest. High priest. Uh, they knew that they themselves can never stand before God or come to worship God on their own with, without a high priest who represents them, uh, without a high priest to be their fellow human being who mediates between God and man and offer proper sacrifices on their behalf. That representative um, is really what opened up the way for them to draw near to God removing their sins by virtue of the sacrifice, drawing near to God. And that's something, really, I think we as a culture understand, right? Every, every Marvel movie, every DC character, uh, every inspirational story involves how someone serving as a representative on behalf of a people and delivering them, saving them, etc. Now, the problem the Israelites had, and the problem we have, really, is this you always end up running out of a good high priest, okay? No high priest is faithful enough to stick around or, or faithful enough to not sin against God. They would either sin or die. Uh, so there's, there was this tension building up all the way to the New Testament. When will the people of God finally get a high priest who will stick around, who they can always count on, and the author of Hebrews is telling us Jesus Christ is that great high priest, the ultimate high priest we can count on. And this leads us to point number two, who is Christ? He is our great high priest. Okay. And let's look into just the descriptions about him now from our passage. It says in verse 14, he himself likewise partook of the same things. Okay, what same things? Flesh and blood. Flesh and blood. Every weakness, vulnerability we have, he took upon himself. Why? So he can represent us. And then it says, 
that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is, the devil. Okay. Here we have right, that same old theme in Hebrews again, how Jesus is better. He is the better high priest who not only is, is he not going to sin and fall away or die, he's going to himself destroy death once and for all. Destroy, remove the power of death. And from the one who, the enemy who holds the power of death, meaning the one who's been doing the enslaving, right, the devil, wielding death like it's his weapon, he's going to remove that from him. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, became truly man, truly flesh and blood, so that he can represent us this way, go to war for us, battle against our enemy for us when we are not able to fight. That's something we have to remember, that God doesn't call us to fight the devil. That's why he sent Jesus to do it for us. We're powerless to do so on our own. So he sent us a representative to defeat our enemy, free us from our slavery to the fear of death. Now, it's, it's really important you, you see here that our conception of Jesus as our Savior and our representative, therefore, is not at all like the, the conception of a superhero like Superman. See, Superman, um, in all appearances, right, he looks like a human, right? Um, but he's not. He's not at all human, right? He's not flesh and blood like we are. Right, bullets don't go through him. They they bounce off. Right, they bounce off his chest. He doesn't have human DNA. He has alien DNA. But see, Jesus, he had flesh and blood. He had human DNA. And and what happened when the when the nails came at his hands and feet? They they didn't bounce off of him. They went through him, just as they go through us. He's human, and therefore, therefore, he can truly represent human beings. So notice how it says in verse 16, for surely it is not angels that he helps. Right? If Jesus was made of a different substance, if he was some supernatural, spiritual being only, without any true human form, then he would be representing angels. But see, he didn't come to redeem fallen angels, right? That's not what happened in, garden, in the garden in Genesis 3. The gospel was not given to the serpent, but to Adam and Eve. He came to save fallen humanity. And how does he save us? Verse 17 tells us it's through his propitiation. This, he throws this big, gigantic theological term at you, propitiation. And I actually appreciate the ESV, the English Standard Version, keeping that big, gigantic word in there uh, because it's trying to capture the original Greek meaning of the word propitiation. That's pretty much lost in modern English today because we don't have a word for it other than this word. Okay? So the Greek word, elaskastai, it's a very specific word, propitiation. It doesn't simply mean the removal of your sins from you by virtue of a sacrifice. It means in addition to that, in addition to that, the removal of the just wrath of God upon your sins. Not simply the removal of sin, removal of God's just wrath upon sin. That's propitiation. The Bible reveals to us a righteous, holy, 
and just God. There is a justifiable wrath on sin that Jesus' death served as a propitiation for. And so on the one hand, it's actually very comforting to know that, to, to know that God is just and he pronounces judgment, uh, especially given the times we're living in. That actually provides a whole lot of comfort to people uh, who are crying for perfect justice. Where do we find it? God of the Bible. On the other hand, it's terrifying. It's terrifying to know this about God when you think about God potentially bringing this divine protest against sin to your doors, <laughs> against your sins. God protesting against you for your sins. That's when we have to cry for mercy, and that's where this propitiation comes in. Very, this is a very central piece of the good news. It's a gospel term that tells us when Jesus died on the cross, it wasn't merely to magically remove our sins away from us, but to satisfy the righteous and just wrath of God upon our sins. And that means there's none left for you. If Christ soaked up all of the wrath of God upon your sins, there is no wrath left for you. There is now, therefore, no condemnation for those of you who are in Christ Jesus. That's the good news. You're free because Jesus paid it all. So it's now possible for those of us who trust in Jesus to not live by our fear of death, the wages of sin, but by our faith in our high priest. We can live by that. Our faith in our high priest who represents us, who fought for us, who died for us, and who rose again for us. He is our great high priest. Now here's something more about him uh, that's important for us today as we meditate on it and press into it. And it will change the way, I believe, you and I live our lives now. And that's the third and final point. Okay, why does Christ being our great high priest matter so much to us now on this side of heaven, not just mattering for us in eternity? Why does it matter today? Now, let's look at verses 17 and 18 one more time. Therefore, he had to be made like his brothers in every respect so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For, because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. Okay? These are some of the most encouraging verses uh, you can find in the entire Bible. First, you see Jesus' life was a, was a twofold struggle. He suffered and he was tempted. He suffered and he was tempted. Why is that encouraging to us? Because that makes him fitting to be our representative as we suffer and as we are tempted. Okay, what does it mean that he suffered? What did he suffer? You know, some people think Jesus must have had an amazing life being the divine son of God here on earth, having all the powers. Here's what he suffered. Isolation, rejection, loneliness, grief, right? loss of loved ones, insult, mockery, betrayal, even, even racial discrimination, systematic injustice from both Romans and the Jews. And he suffered physically like no other. He suffered mentally like no other. Jesus' mental distress led him to sweat blood in the Garden of Gethsemane. 
point is, he's a sufferer who can relate to your suffering. He's a man of sorrows who can relate to your sorrows. And it says he was tempted as well. He was tempted. Uh, think about what he was tempted by. He was, he was tempted by fame and success and recognition. He was tempted by power. Uh, he was tempted by the lure of human approval. That was one of Satan's main weapons he tried to use against Jesus. He was tempted by physical comfort, material comfort, physical pleasures, to avoid suffering, um, suffering over what's right, choosing comfort in what's wrong. And, you know, we get this false idea that what it takes to really understand our temptations, right, as sinners, the true way of empathizing with us is to experience temptation and giving into it and sinning. Um, And so that makes it harder for us to see Jesus as someone who really understands what we're going through, our temptations, because Jesus didn't sin. I mean, yeah, he knows about our sins. He knows about our struggles, but he doesn't know them the way I know them because I've, I've actually sinned, and he hasn't. And there are a couple of things that we can say to that. Uh, for one, Jesus knows infinitely better how to be treated, what it is like to be treated as a sinner better than you or I can ever come to understand. Because temptation is actually better understood by those who endure it and withhold from it than those who give in. Right. Why do temptations go away for us? We give in to it. Temptations go away when we give in to it. What would happen if we were not to give in to temptation? What would happen then? The struggle will grow and build and mount. It becomes a heavier and heavier weight. You feel more and more of the reality and the weight of your temptation. And that's why it's like a cross, Jesus said, to follow after me, because he did that. He carried that weight all through his life, never giving in. That's why when we look at Jesus, we see someone who knows infinitely better what it's to be tempted, what it's like to be tempted than we we do. We don't. We get lost in the temptation. We're numb to the effects of sin. We don't know what it's like. But Jesus, he wasn't numb to the effects of sin. He didn't give in. He always resisted, and therefore he felt every bit of its sting. And all of this, again, makes him our faithful, merciful high priest, as it says in verse 17, a merciful and faithful high priest. Okay, Very quickly, merciful, why? Because merciful, because he is compassionate, and he will receive you just as you are. Someone who, who is in flesh and blood, suffering and tempted. Nobody is as compassionate as someone who has suffered what you have suffered. Uh, No one can empathize better than the one who's suffered even more than you. And the thing is, you know, when you've suffered something, you never look upon the other person suffering with pride, with arrogance, with judgment, with pull yourself together kind of messages. Jesus looks upon sinners with compassion because he's lived through the 
consequences and the weight of bearing all of sin's temptations. He will look upon you with mercy, with compassion. Remember, it wasn't right on the throne of God where Jesus said, Father, forgive them. It was on the cross where he was suffering the consequences of sin, where he said, Father, forgive them. And he's faithful as well. And, and what does that mean? That means he will never grow weary or tired of you, even if you are growing weary and tired of yourself. Right? Are, are you not tempted to give up on yourself sometimes? Okay, I'll never get over this. I'll never, I'll never be this sanctified. I'll never be a follower of Jesus like so-and-so. When you are not faithful to yourself, Christ is the one being faithful to you. He's the one hanging on. He's the one holding fast, still not giving up. Why? He's your faithful high priest. Okay. And so, therefore, just knowing this about Jesus is a, is a great news of great comfort to us. This makes Jesus the, the only man, as we learned last week, crowned with glory and honor that draws us captivates us. And let's consider this, and and I'll close with this. Understand this principle in uh, verse 18 as a universal principle. If you've suffered, you are able to help those who are suffering. If you are suffering, you are able to help those who are suffering as well. And I'm sure we're all right now suffering in various ways right now. In, in, In various ways, suffering personally, individually, and I'm glad whenever we're able to you know, share that and be there for one another. But I also hope that you guys would, and I would, move to the next step where we're not simply wondering, you know, why is this happening? Why is this happening to me? Why is this happening to my family? But praying, God, how can I use this suffering to minister to those who are suffering like me? How can I minister to those, bless those who are going through the things I'm going through? Because here's the thing. We, you, me, have been invited into the priesthood of Christ to be like him, to be as merciful and as faithful to those around us. That's why this matters to us now, so that we would imitate the priesthood of Jesus Christ. The priesthood of Christ is not given to us so you can individually just come before Jesus and worship God free of, free of the, 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 any fear of death or the wrath of God. It goes beyond that so that you would be sent out and be imitators of God in this world that's desperately in need of mercy, desperately in need of faithfulness. We can be God's ambassadors today. And whatever, whenever, I should say, whenever you're wondering, God, what is your purpose for me right now? What do you want me to do? Remember this. Your calling and your purpose is still this, being called into the priesthood of Christ. Let's pray. Father, we, we, we thank you for your adoption into your family. We thank you for your son who's accomplished what we never could in order to bring us into your family. And we pray now, especially during this season, we would not simply sit on that truth, but we would take that 
and begin to serve those around us, those who need the priesthood of Christ, the compassion of Christ, the justice, the mercy, the faithfulness of Christ. Help us to be representatives of your kingdom and be imitators of God in our homes, in our workplace, in, in our relationships, in our speech, in our thoughts, in our deeds. May we reflect Christ and Christ alone, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.